Hey, my name is Ruben, the lead pastor here at Crossroads Church. Welcome to our podcast, where you can catch up on all the messages that you might have missed, or you might want to hear again. We hope you enjoy this message. We hope it challenges you. We hope it encourages you. And we hope ultimately that it would draw you closer to Jesus. Enjoy. Some family friends this morning. Graham and Cynthia are with us this morning. Let's give them a hand as we invite up Graham. It's great to have you guys with us this morning. And um, I'd just like to take the opportunity to pray for you before you open up God's Word and, and speak to us this morning. Yes, Heavenly Father, we are so grateful um, for this opportunity now that we can turn our attention to your Word. Um, Lord, I pray that as Graham speaks this morning that you will just... Um, Use him to, to speak to us and minister to us. Uh, Lord, I pray that your spirit will just fill him afresh as he does that. So, Holy Spirit, move in this place, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. I'm sorry, I'm a little bit nervous today, and I don't know why I shouldn't be. I'm amongst friends. I've... Uh, had this opportunity for 20-something years to come and speak with you. Uh, but here I am, with shortness of breath, butterflies playing ping-pong in my stomach. <laughs> At least I know that maybe 70% of people get stage fright. So it's not uncommon. It's called uh, glossophobia, fear of public speaking. Of course, it doesn't have to be just public speaking. It can be, uh, can be anything, really. Um, get nervous when I'm having a uh, difficult interaction with someone. Uh, yep, that'll, that'll uh, trigger it. Um, financial pressure, that, that can wind people up, make them a bit nervous. Stepping out into the unknown, uh, we might tend to avoid that one because we know what that's going to do to us. Uh, but here we are. It's human nature, isn't it? It's, it's part of what we do, we, what we are. We might have a great thought in our minds. We might have a great opportunity. But actually a significant factor is that we are human beings. We have a limbic system, and among other things, that drives our emotions, uh, sending out chemicals, some of which end up making my hands clammy, uh, short of breath, knees trembling. Uh, but I know I'm speaking to people who probably have felt like this too sometime. So when we hear about missionary exploits, it's easy to stay in our seats. And even when someone says, we're all called to go, well, maybe especially when someone says, we're all called to go, our limbic system kicks in. Those are someone else's exploits someone else's wonderful adventure, but they're not mine. I have read about missionaries going to PNG uh, or countries in Africa, and I have looked at them with wonder. I cannot imagine 
going to a jungle or a desert place. I've spent 20 years in a modern city. A jungle or a desert place would be a bridge too far. Today we're going to have a look at Acts 8, uh, about Philip. Philip, this young Hellenistic Jew, a Jew who'd taken up a Greek lifestyle, who discovered Jesus, and he catches the eyes of the apostles. And they say, the apostles, look, why should we be distracted by the little things, like waiting at tables? Let's appoint seven guys to look after the meals and settle these petty disputes. So they select Philip and Stephen and five others whose names I can neither remember nor pronounce and give them that job of being deacons in the early church. And this is where Philip began his life of service. I began mine by mowing lawns around a little church building in Nongataha. And then I came back here to Palmerston North. But two years mowing lawns was my service. Then we see Philip appearing again in chapter 8. Stephen has been stoned to death. Persecution has broken out. And we find Philip in Samaria. And he's gone from Jerusalem to Samaria. And his ministry there has become quite wonderful. We see miraculous signs. People were paying close attention to what he said. People were being healed. They were being saved in Samaria. And we remember the phrase from Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. And we get quite hung up on this ends of the earth bit. And maybe Philip did too. He had this wonderful ministry in Samaria. I'm sure that he could have settled there and the church would have flourished. But God spoke to him. God whispered in his ear and said, go south to the desert road. One small step. Just go down to the desert road. Then God spoke to Philip again. Go near to that chariot. Just one little whisper. Just one little step. Who was it that Philip was drawing near to? He's described as an Ethiopian eunuch in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. Well, maybe not quite Ethiopia. Um, the word that is used in the Greek refers to sort of anyone on that side of the Nile. So 
at least we know he was African. He was someone who was different. But we can be sure that he was in, Af in an African government. He was an official there. And we know he was a eunuch. So he had a high social status. He was racially different. And he wasn't binary. He was a guy who Philip probably wouldn't have been able to communicate with in Jerusalem. They just mixed in completely different circles. This African official would probably have entered the palace service as a boy. It was safer to have eunuchs in the royal staff because they wouldn't flirt and they couldn't have children so they weren't tempted to look for power. So these young boys would be brought in, made eunuchs, and then educated. Uh, our African official was very likely unable to grow a beard. Uh, his voice might not have broken. He might not have been very muscular. He looked and sounded different. But he was educated. And this African official traveled to Jerusalem to worship. And what would he have learned? Well, he would have learned from 23 verse 1 that he wouldn't have been allowed to enter the assembly of the Lord. The chances are that this African official would not even have had access to the temple where he had intended to worship. And so he was traveling back home in his chariot. Obviously, he stopped off at a bookshop somewhere, picked up a book for the journey, and was leafing through the book of Isaiah. In fact, when we encounter him in the story, he's reading Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8. But we can be pretty sure that he'd read Isaiah 52 before he got to 53. And that reads, Awake, awake, Zion, clothe yourself with strength, put on your garments of splendor, Jerusalem, the holy city, the uncircumcised and defiled will not enter you again. This African official reads in this wonderful celebration about the liberation and redemption of Israel that not only he, uncircumcised and defiled, could not enter the temple, but he was not even welcome in Jerusalem. So this African official is reading Isaiah 53 and he's stumbling over this passage and Philip hears and asks, do you understand what you're reading? That's why we're involved in education in South Asia. We can't individually reach billions of people, but books can. And so our Bible sponsorship program is designed to make books available. 
But before they can be read, the people have to be able to read. And so we've got a special education program and a charitable school, knowing that it's just a drop in the ocean, but at least it was something we could do. And the African official says, in frustration, how can I understand unless someone explains it to me? That question, how can I understand? It's so important for people who are involved with Bible translation. Translators spend a lot of time trying to work out what level of the language they should be using. What vocabulary should be used? How should the phrases be constructed so they're easy to understand? So many books, especially books about religion, they're written using formal and even academic language. But it's complex. It's inaccessible. So we started using the language as it's spoken in the street in our study books. As I've mentioned before, that was the philosophy behind our SKB, uh, everyone's Bible version. That's why we're translating a complete discipleship program that's used around the world into regional languages, so that in small groups, meeting in communities across the country, people can study, discuss, and say, now I understand. So Philip has to sit with the African official and explain Isaiah 53. Because the African official wants to know who is being written about in this, para, in this para, passage. You may have heard stories about people uh, who come to faith in Jesus uh, because of miracles in certain closed countries. From what I've heard from people's testimonies, from what I've read and witnessed, there seems to be three elements in these amazing conversion stories. There is the miraculous experience, a dream or a vision or some spiritual encounter. But there's also an encounter with the Word of God. Someone may have been given a tract years ago and they find it later in a drawer and take it out and read it. Or they're walking along the road and they find a scrap of paper and it's got a verse from the Bible written on it. Uh, some tell of just walking along and hearing a Bible passage being spoken. And that has stayed with them. Others have been lucky enough to have access to a Bible and have been able to read it. But there's a third factor which seems to be very, very common in these amazing testimonies about people in countries where the church is not free. And that is that they have met someone who points them to Jesus. And that's what Philip did. 
We have colleagues working in the northern region of the country that we worked in. They visit families uh, in mountainous areas, telling stories, teaching songs, sharing meals. They, say, they share the, the children's Bible, which we published. Maybe we gave it the wrong name in English because people of all ages are reading that book. Uh, the couple up there get their sons to read it to them every night. Uh, the older gentleman down there pours over it and then he also goes to his phone and listens to it on audio uh, because sometimes his, you know, his education level isn't uh, up there with his literacy. Last week we had this amazing visit from a friend who works in another country, uh, still amongst um, people living up in mountains. Uh, she lived there and as she got used to the place, uh, she realised that people were regularly singing songs out in the street. Uh, she describes them as a singing culture. Uh, so she began to write songs for them. They love to sing songs. And their songs are epic songs. So she writes songs using their language, their traditional tunes. She's an ethnomusicologist. I'm glad I could say that straight out. The women come to her and ask, have you written another song for us? And she's encouraging them to start writing their own songs. One of the women was with her reading from the Gospels, and as she was reading, she paused and said, Oh, this is the song we sing. And so she was able to read more confidently because she was so familiar with the story. This is the joy of being able to share in a way that relates to them. Philip probably would never have imagined that he'd be sitting on a chariot with a treasury official from a royal palace in Africa. In fact, if someone had told him that that's what he was doing at one of these dinners that they held in Jerusalem, my guess is that Philip would have experienced the same thing as I experience. Shortness of breath... Clammy hands, trembling knees. Uh, he was okay dealing with the Hellenistic Jews and the Hebraic Jews and serving the meals. But this, this was big. But God whispered in his ear, took him step by step until Philip was invited into the chariot to ride with this African official. And then he had the opportunity to explain the gospel. And where does the explanation begin? It begins in a passage about a man who was oppressed and afflicted, who was judged, cut off and crushed. I can't be sure 
what the African official experienced in Jerusalem, but I guess it may not have been as wonderful as he had hoped. Yet I have no doubt about the open-handed gospel, the gospel of grace that Philip shared with him. He began with Isaiah 53, reading about a man who bore the sin of many, who made intercession for the sinners, then recounting the story of Jesus who had welcomed sinners into the kingdom of God, and then, no doubt, describing the more recent offense of Jesus' crucifixion, bringing the story full circle to the one who was pierced for our sins and crushed for our wickedness. And that story hadn't been written yet. As I think about Philip sharing the gospel, I wonder if he rolled the scroll forward a little bit and found Isaiah 56, 4-8. For this is what the Lord says. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple, within my temple and its walls, a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it, and all who hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain, Jerusalem, and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer to all nations. Another prophetic word, but maybe one that didn't need as much explanation to, by Philip, because it speaks about acceptance of those previously denied access. The eunuch and the foreigner, wouldn't those words have brought joy to the African official? They would have spoken directly to him. Those gentle whispers of God, which took Philip away from where he was doing so well. He was led step by step until he found himself with the opportunity to share the gospel to someone who had come so close and yet not heard it. Philip had been in Jerusalem. The African official had been in Jerusalem. But for some reason, the African official hadn't heard the gospel in Jerusalem. There may be people nearby this very building who will never enter this building. Some may be too busy. Some may think it's not for them. They may have heard things like Deuteronomy 23 verse 1 and Isaiah 52, which suggests that they aren't welcome 
but we know they are. The African official didn't hear the gospel in Jerusalem. He heard it in his chariot on his journey down the desert road to Gaza. What steps have you taken when God has whispered to you? I wonder what God is whispering to you now. It may seem like a simple thing, an inconsequential thing. God whispered in our ears, and we just kept taking small, small steps until we found ourselves 8,000 miles away. Eventually, God showed us a chariot and told us to go near to that chariot and stay near it. And that's how we got involved with the publishing business. And that's how we met Rajan and Biji and began the preschool with them, which is now a charitable school. And that's how we established our special education centre. They were just small conversations, small steps. That's how we met up with Sam and Moy. We just bumped into them at church. And then we walked alongside them and in their ministry. When God took us to South Asia, it was through a series of small whispers over 10 years, 15, probably 20 years. 20 years of small whispers. But we really didn't realize where those small steps were taking us. And so I wasn't quite as uh, nervous as I would have been if God had, if someone, anyone had told me, well, this is what you're going to go and do. When we hear the phrase Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, it's easy to imagine that it's either, either, and or. But from our experience, it describes steps, and they're not always in the same direction. And from Philip's experience, it describes an interruption from his successful ministry in Samaria. But let's go back to his story. As they travelled along the road, they came to some water. I was so excited when I saw the water here this morning. <laughs> and the African official said, look, here's water. Why shouldn't I be baptised? And that's what they did. At the end of the story, we read that when they came up out of the water the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. Now, I remember uh, quite a few years ago being taught about that miraculous transportation. And now that we're leading a mission organisation, I'm thinking seriously about it because, you know, creation care is something that we're concerned about, our carbon footprint. And, uh, well, we've got partners who were working in Nepal. They were environmental scientists. Uh, they spent time 
sharing with the people as well as working with universities on how they could care for their environment. And I'm thinking, if God could suddenly take our partners to the field, it would be great for the environment. I mean, it'd be great for their budgets too, wouldn't it? I have to settle down a bit. Paul's miraculous mode of transportation isn't the central issue here. The fact is that the African official had just been baptised and we know what should happen next. We know that there's a process of discipleship. It's a journey. Uh, We're on this journey. That's the way things should go, isn't it? But God took Philip away and the African official carries on his way traveling further and further away from Jerusalem and the church. The theme in the story is not a miraculous mode of transportation of this little passage here. It is that this is God's story, that this is God's plan, and that it is God's mission. And if we're going to be effective in mission Anywhere, we need to yield it, yield it all to God. I've told two sides of this story. There's the story of Philip, who was drawn away by quiet whispers of God into a new situation to meet a different person. It's the story of a person who was taken step by step by step not thrown in the deep end. I won't point at that. Not thrown in the deep end. <laughs> and then there's the story of this different person, the African official, the one whom Philip was called away to share the gospel with. He was the person to tell. He was the person who had tried to draw near to God, but couldn't. He was the person who tried to find God in the scriptures, but couldn't. He was the guy for whom God picked up Philip and sent him to meet him on the desert road. God had been tracking the African official's journey, and when the time was right, he called Philip. And when Philip's job was done, he took Philip away. The African official was God's person to tell for Philip. Who is your person to tell? Who is your person to tell? Thanks for listening to the Crossroads Church Podcast. If you'd like any more information on our church, how to give, or maybe after today's message you'd like to talk to someone, you can find out everything you need to know on our website, which is crossroads.co.nz. Make sure you click subscribe on this podcast so you don't miss out on new content. Thanks for stopping by.